And so good to have you here with us this Sunday morning. Um, it's a special Sunday, but it's just like every other Sunday at the same time. It is, uh, if you're new here or you're visiting uh, with some of your family or friends, welcome to one of our family meetings. Um, it's a time where we get to remember what Jesus has done for us. This is such a special Sunday. I would say Happy Easter or Happy Resurrection Sunday. Uh, something that's new for me is I love to say now Happy Great Passover. Because for me, this is something that God has been showing me more and more of. Um, as I come back to these important dates and events in our history and in our walk with God, God has just shown me some things about how much celebrating the Passover is uh, for who we are today. It's not just a Jewish festival. It's not just something in the past. So I will share more of that. If you ever feel like you want to find out, come and talk to me. I'm not going to go into that right now. But... Um, for anyone who's new, my name is Judah. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Word of Grace. And it's just such a privilege to share from the Word of God this morning. Um, if you were here uh, over the past few weeks, we've been working with this series called The Source. That God alone is the source of our life. That God is the person that everything flows from. And everything that we need for life and godliness comes from Him. And... We would do well to pay attention to what we allow to be the, the fuel for our life. When Jackie was sharing a little while ago, <clears throat> when she talked about the altar of our lives, that's a good indicator for you of what fuels your life. Right? If you look back to the things, and Donovan went into detail a little bit, which is great, about the things that can so easily become the center point of what our life springs from. And then having a really good social network matters to us. Being someone who looks impressive in front of other people matters to us. That we have a job that other people would not look down on matters to us. These are the things that can so quickly become the altar that we worship. And God's saying, I am the source alone. We had this passage from Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that cannot hold water. This has been the thing that has really challenged me. And I've read through the book of Jeremiah just as a challenge for this time. Uh, I believe the, the, the prophecy of Jeremiah has a lot of things to, to tell us about this day that we're living in. It had a definite focus on the nation of Israel, for sure. But there are things that God nails over there, which is what God's heart was after the whole time. We have got into this whole idea of doing church. We do different things. Easter is a great example of it. We do things, but our hearts are far from Him. And that's what God calls us back to. He's saying, I am the source of life. I am the fountain of living water. But we go and drink East Palestine river water. Right? So we end up trying to go finding solutions for ourselves. And then we get troubled by the fruit that comes out of it. We think our marriage will save us. We think our job will save us. So we invest ourselves into making that the best it can be. So if you've not already heard this word today, I would ask you to pay heed to this. Jesus and what he did on the cross for you and me was something so life-altering but also so defining that those of us who were so far away from him unable to see our way through the muck. We were people who were used, so put this Im image in your head, of a fresh spring of water that's coming out of a mountainside. And you're somewhere down, way down the mountain, and you found this little puddle <coughs> that used to be a lake, 
that is no longer connected to this river. But now it's just starting to dry up and you're trying to scoop up as much water as you can and you're like, oh, this is so refreshing. This is so great. The whole time, the spring is just up the mountain. But you're in this little cutaway away from knowing where the source was, just sitting there trying to drink out of this little puddle. And that's what humanity has done all through the ages. We've found little places where we have tried to dig out a place where we say, like, we'll find some water, if some rain falls, or if something else, we will be satisfied by that. And God's saying, I am the fountain of life. I want you to return to me. The whole testament of the, the scriptures, the testimony of the scriptures is, return to me. Return to me. Don't, don't stay away. I am not trying to beat you down. I am not trying to judge you into submission. I am not trying to bring you into a place where you are like, oh no, if I don't, then. It's not an if, then. It is him saying, I love you with an unfailing love. I sent my son for you. This is where we have that very famous verse that everyone knows. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only his unique son, that anyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We all love that verse. But why does that verse exist? Because he says, return to me. He wanted you to return to him. He was like, there is fresh water of life from my presence. Without it, you cannot live. So what Jesus did in this, what we are celebrating this weekend is what Jesus did to say, I will go to the other side and pull them over. Because they were unable to find it. They were stuck on that other side, jumping in puddles, cleaning themselves in those same puddles, and drinking that same water, doing all their business in that same puddle, and drinking that same water. That is the state of what we have become. And he says, there is no way for them to find unless I go. So God comes. God steps into the scene of human history. He says, I will come in weakness. And he does what no one could do. In all of his glory, he puts it down. And he says, I will come and be among you. And I will show you the way back to my father. So whenever you hear the word, I'll show you the way to the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's saying, I'll show you where the fountain of living water is. I will take you back to the source. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. It was in the songs we sang this morning. And I just, I, I really want you to hear this today. That Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. And he upholds the whole universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now that verse is, seems like a very glamorous verse. But what it is really talking about is that there is no one who can rival Jesus. There is no other name that can even come close or even hold a match to the, to the awesomeness, the brightness of who Jesus is. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1 to 3. These are all verses that you would have heard around about Christmas time. But I want you to hear these in the light of what Jesus did when he died and rose again. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness on the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you. And the nations shall come to your light, and kings to the, bright, to the brightness of your shining. What Jesus did... When he landed on the human stage, he brought light to a place that was so covered in darkness 
and that light has never dimmed. John chapter 1 tells us about that. That he is the light of all mankind. In Isaiah chapter 9 it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, a light has shone. Carrying on in verse 6, it says, For unto us a, ch a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and the peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What I, why I'm reading these passages of scripture is so that you see that what he was doing was not just merely dying for sin. Because that's the highlight of our story. That's where we come in on the story. So we're like, hey, Jesus died for our sin. Yay. That was an important part of the story. But it's not the story. The story is that there is a glory of God that is coming to a place that had been so rebellious and had gone away from him. And God says, my glory will not be diminished. All things will be reconciled. And this is where you get that language. He will bring it back, that is shattered, back together into wholeness and back to himself. That there is glory, that God's image is not tarnished. Through scripture you will see this context constantly come up. For the sake of my name, I will do it. Because Israel messed it up bajillion times. You and I mess things up bajillion times. Have you lived a perfect life since you gave your life to Jesus? Or if you're sitting here today saying, I do not know Jesus, but I don't know if he would even want someone like me. Guess what? It has nothing to do with you. It has to do with his glory. And he says, I have made a way that you will no longer have to say, do I have to jump through these many hoops? Do I have to get this right first before I can? How much do you want for this water? He says, come, for anyone who is thirsty, come and buy without cost. I will give it to you for free. You don't need to try and achieve it. I will do it for you for the sake of my name. So when you look at the glory of God, we're not just talking about the glory of God in people being saved from sin. We're talking about the glory of God that spans across the universe that spans over every place and every high place that has exalted itself and said, I will be like the most high God. Every other God, every other place or every spiritual power that seeks to exalt God says, I will be exalted in the earth. Which is why it's so important that you see this, that when Jesus came, verse 7 of Isaiah 9 says, and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. When Jesus came, he ushered in a new era where now the government of God was going to consistently keep growing. All the places that had gone into rebellion were going to come into subjection. Every single one. So when we go back to that New Testament passage which we read, when he, had made, um, when he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, so that every other enemy that was until they are made his footstool. Until a time where every place where there is disrepair, where the nations of the earth, which are not connected to God and his promises, he says, I will bring them back. All of them. It wasn't just to the Jews. Which totally astounded the people of their time. Of that time. When Jesus was going to the cross, they thought, Oh, this is, even if they believed that he was the Messiah. They could not understand that this Messiah was not just going to save Israel. 
He was doing something that was going to go and save the nations that had been bound to idols, bound to other things, bound to spiritual forces and authorities. Then they were too, they were too weak to fight against. They were dipping in that same puddle. They thought, this is it. This is the world I live in. And God says, no, go therefore into all the nations and make disciples of nations. This is why the Great Commission exists. Because the glory of God matters. It's not enough that, oh yeah, a few of us go to church. Yeah, I love that I live in America, so we get to go to church. There's so many people out there who need to hear that Jesus saves. Jesus doesn't save you into a nice, cushy, western lifestyle. He saves you into an awareness of His kingdom and His glory. So that's what I want to put on the table for today. When Jesus rose, He wasn't raising us into, Oh, there you go, I'm going to give you a nice life now. Mm -mm. He was raising you up into saying, Now join. Join with me in what I have, my Father committed to me. I now commit to you that the glory of God might be seen on the earth. In Revelation chapter 5, I want to read this so you see who we're dealing with. This is the same Jesus we're talking about. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down. So this is a, a picture of what happened in heaven when Jesus died and rose again. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God. What has He made them? A kingdom of priests to God. A kingdom of people who serve before God. Who display God to a people who are not His. Who offer sacrifice for a people who are estranged from Him. That is our role. It's not just worship this way. It's worship that goes this way too. Then I looked around. The throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands upon thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor, and glory, and might forever and ever. And all the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. This is something that's happening on repeat in heaven. Because what Jesus did wasn't a trivial thing. He stepped into the fray and redeemed a people who were not even seeking after Him. For the sake of His glory. Which is why in all of heaven, just in those words I read right there, it, it, it's almost like a mouthful. It's filled with superlatives. Right? Everything is in the excess of whatever that word is. And Jesus is that. And this is the same Jesus who we like to just be buddy-buddy with. This is the same Jesus who we casually talk about on a Sunday. But this is the same Jesus who says, I have redeemed you out of darkness and put you in the light. Now live as children of the light. Don't, don't walk around playing with this and that, going back to your old puddles, going... Finding Netflix and chill is the only way you can get some peace and peace of mind. Sure, there are lots of things that you can get 
And there are lots of things that will satisfy your need for a season. But He is the only one who can truly satisfy. And His satisfying your need is not so that He can placate or bring you to a place of, ah. Oh. It's so that you are revived and ready to go. To say, let the glory of God be seen on the earth. If I have a family, if I have children, if I have a wife, if I have a job, I want to see the glory of God revealed there. And I'm not trying to cook up some big, oh, let me, let me do some big heavy, you know, crazy thing that make everyone look. No, don't be weird. Just be you. Just be you. But then say, Lord, I don't know what to do. I just want to see you glorified. And I want to just touch on this quickly. When we are talking about Jesus, He is not only the source of life, He is also the goal. He's not only where we came from, He's also where we're going. So when we talk about Word of Grace's goal this year is to be on this divine pursuit, you cannot pursue something unless you have fuel. And your fuel must come from Him. He must be the one that drives whatever passion there is. Otherwise, religion will take over. We're living in a time where there is more religious content than you can know what to do with. And the worst part about it is, half of it disagrees with each other. Right? So you're sitting there going, well, what do I believe? Well, I don't know. Well, the, these guys don't believe this well enough. And these people don't write that. And then, you're, and then you, you end up fighting with half the things that you think you believe. The fact that I can fully be someone who is engaged with the situations and the, the things of our day I am someone who is very passionate about what God is doing in our social system. I'm very passionate about what God's doing in race. I'm very passionate about what God's doing with the economy. I'm passionate about what God's doing with our nation. But that's not my source. That's not my fuel. What fuels me is the kingdom of God and His glory. So when I set my eyes on those things... The rest of these things have to fall under that. It doesn't make them unimportant. But they fall under it. Though those things are informed by my source. Not by the puddle. The problem is we have so much of human discourse. Of us trying to take dirt from one side of the, pu the puddle. And then say well it will address that. And then, then from this side and saying no this will address that. No one's going back to the source issues. Everyone's going to, well, this is why. This is why we have this problem with race. Or this is why we have this problem with poverty in our nation. This is why we have problem with social class system. Dude, you're not going to fix these problems digging in the same puddle. The problem is, it matters. These issues matter. But how do you solve them? By being someone who's humble in heart and says, I will return to the Lord. He has an answer for me. I don't need to try and change the world. This is the biggest lie that we have tried to sell this generation. That they are all world changers. You were never meant to change the world. You were never meant to change the world. Not a single person on this planet was meant to change the world apart from Jesus. You were called to be faithful where you were planted. The problem is everyone wants to change the world. Which is why social media is one of those things that tricks people into thinking they are. But you're not willing to work with the person who's right in front of you. Right in front of you. Oh, no, this thought needs to go. Again, I don't know if you read from our church page. Good Friday, Easter. This, this is when all the Christians get all G'd up. This is, this is their Super Bowl weekend, right? I'm like, stop with the big Good Friday, Easter posts. You can love someone, share the work of Jesus in you. If that is not visible, what point is your Jesus if he rose from the dead? You look like the same old rotten you. 
You keep telling me about this, Jesus changed my life. Jesus obviously didn't. That is the sadness of this day. We have a whole Christian movement that will talk around the things of Jesus. But we don't meet with Jesus. The people in our lives who look at us, do they see him? Jesus is not only our source, he is our, the object of our affection and our pursuit. Revelation 22 verse 13 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. I am the beginning and I am the end. That's so succinct, but it covers everything. There is no way you're going to get around the Jesus question. So when you talk about, you know, when people say, I understand that sometimes it's very flippant when people, especially Christians, when they talk about social issues or just things that are happening right now in our nation. And you say, Jesus is the answer. That doesn't help the situation when you're talking, especially in the context of people who don't believe in Jesus. They don't understand what you're getting at. But you still have to deal with the Jesus question. You need to have an answer for where your allegiance lies. Because without it, you cannot get to the source. You will still be digging in a puddle. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 through 20 says this, For by Him all things were created in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, whether it is a throne, dominion, rulers, or authorities. Again, these are all things that I would like you to be aware of because we read past these things like as if they're imaginary. No, there are rulers, there are dominions, there are high places, there are spiritual powers that are working against the glory of God. It's not just human beings who are gone astray. They're trapped by spiritual power. But all these things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. And He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Do you see? This is why it was important that Jesus was raised from the dead. That He would be the prototype of what humanity was going to be returned to. When humanity was pulled down into this rebellion of God and away from God and away from the life of God. Some of us are familiar with the account of God, the Garden of Eden. They were told that they could not eat from the tree of life ever again. And God says, I am the tree of life. If anyone who believes in me, out of their inmost being will flow rivers of living water. I will be the life source that goes from within you. You don't have to go somewhere to find it. You don't even have to come to a church meeting to get it. Because I will be the life source that fuels you every single day. For in Him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Not the halfness of God, the fullness of God was in Jesus. And through Him to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, He made peace by the work of the cross. Once and for all. He was making a statement, but He was doing something that spanned across the earth and the heavens. That would be a marker for any principality, any power, any person on earth, any person under the earth that says, it screams out, God has made a way that anyone who believes in Him shall not perish. And it speaks judgment over anything that stands in His way. There are two sides to this covenant. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God. Something to be grasped at. He didn't, he didn't go chomping at it just because he could. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus took your place and my place on that cross. He laid down his glory. He took the shame that was yours and mine. He went down to that deepest place of shame. I need you to understand this because glory has nothing to do with shame. How can glory be revealed through shame? This is what confounded all of the powers of darkness. They were like, if we get him to bow, if we get him on his knees, there is no way up from here. Because the Most High has fallen from his position. You know, when Donovan welcomes us every, mor- every Sunday morning, I know it's, his com- it's a common phrase for him because he-, he loves to greet us and he says, let's worship a most holy and worthy God. I don't know how many of you are aware of how holy and other the God we worship is. He's not like any other God, which is why he is the most high God. In the Old Testament, God describes himself that way. The most high. Because there were other highs. That is why he is the most high. There are other names that are trying to vie for his power. Vie for the glory of God. Vie for his luminescence as well. Because the the presence of God brings light. Which is why, if you look at what the world has become... We are drawn to what? The shiniest thing around. When we look at just things in in all of human history, the reason sin is not too far from places that are bright is because that's the masquerade. You know what should cause, because the moment you, you hear something like that, you think, oh, Vegas, yeah. I'm thinking mega church, political rallies. I'm thinking concerts. We have become a people who love to be in the light. Which is why for me, all of these things, we could turn it all off. And if we cannot find Jesus in the, just with his presence being there. Turn all of this stuff off. And if you cannot find Jesus, what's the point of all of this? Because you're used to ascribing glory to something. Glory has to do with brightness. It has to do with the weight. The Hebrew word for glory is the word kabod, which is the weight of God. It seems like an odd phrase because glory seems like something, the big, the, the awesomeness or the, the wonder. But it literally has to do with the thickness of his presence. When a president walks, now say for instance, if the, United, if the president of the United States of America walked in this room, regardless of whether you like the guy or not, just by virtue of that office, I mean, th- there would be CIA, SWAT, Secret Service, everywhere. I mean, this, it, it, let's just say the president decided to show up here. I mean, they, even, whether we want, even if we wanted to sit where we're sitting, we wouldn't be able to. Right? That's just the weight of his presence. And that is the thing we keep saying we're coming on a Sunday to celebrate. Jesus is going to walk into this room. Where is the weight of his presence? I love that we don't have to mark things off and do some big rituals to allow God to come and be with us. I love that. You can come dressed in a t-shirt. You can drink your cup of coffee. 
There are no, there are no hoops for you to jump through to meet with God. But I would urge you, please be aware of who you're meeting. We're dealing with the Most High God. When He is welcome in a place, we make room for you. The, the weight of your presence has room to do what you, I'll do what you want to do. I wonder if our church meetings would look the way they do if the pastor wasn't the most important person in the room. Or the worship band wasn't the most important persons in the room. When the holiness of God matters to us, we have to get out of the way. He is way too bright. The word that we often use as the word, the word praise is the word, or the word hallelujah. It's not just Christianese. That word hallelujah means you are the brightest. It comes from the Hebrew word hallel, which means the bright, the brightness, the awesome brightness of God. So it says, give him the bright, so put his name in lights. That's what hallelujah means. Make God's name the one that's the brightest. You are the most bright one. Which is also, coincidentally, where Lucifer got his name. He was a bright one. His name isn't Lucifer. That's just a translation. He was just called the bright one. He was, and he thought, you know what? I think I got this guy. I look almost like him. I mean, I'm pretty shiny. I think I will ascend and make myself like the Most High. He thought in his heart that he could ascend the throne of God and say, I'll, I mean, God trusts me with a lot, and everyone in heaven seems to trust me with a lot. I'm a pretty cool guy. And that is where we get Lucifer from. But those kind of things are not too far from the heart of humankind either. The heart of man craves attention. Craves being in the center. Even if you're an introvert, you crave being in the center of yourself. I am the most important. We, regard, regardless of which way around it is, it's the glory of man that matters to man. It's called the pride of life. And God says, I've come to save you out of this futile way of trying to live your life and trying to say, I'm trying to make sense of what my world looks like. And he says, I am the source. But I am also its object. So if you stay on this path, you will not go astray. Therefore God, this is verse 9, Therefore God has exalted Jesus and bestowed Him with the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to what? To the glory of God the Father. This is what brings God glory. What? That Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is above every other name. My salvation is part of that story. It's not the story. My salvation exists for the glory of God. So what was sown in dishonor in 1 Corinthians chapter 15... It says, it was sown in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. It was sown in weakness, but it is raised in power. What you and I are has to be done away with. We cannot have a little bit of us and a little bit of Jesus. There has to be an end to ourselves so that what is raised up is the work of Jesus. That is why the resurrection matters, because he did something where the frailty of humankind and all of its rebellion and all of its judgment and everything was dealt with on the cross. And he says, when it was sucked into the, into the grave, he says, I will resurrect it. So that last frontier of death 
no longer has a hold that says, no, you can't go back to your God. You're bound to me. You're bound to the power that exists in this nation. You're bound to this demonic stronghold. And he says, I will go past all of that. And I will give you new life. Not the life that was cursed, but a life that is everlasting. That's why in Romans chapter 6, it tells us if we were... Let's go there. Don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the, death, from, from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. This is your hope. That you are not stuck in this futile way of trying to figure out life. He says He has gone in there and He says, I will raise you up. Not to just live life the same way you were, but into a new living way. One where the glory of God is something at the center of your being. This is why at the end of this month, if anyone would like to be baptized or your children, these are, these are important steps because it's not just a statement of, I'm making a, a play, I'm, I'm, I, I just want everyone to know that I believe in Jesus. You're making a declaration for all of heaven and earth and under the earth, and everybody in our midst, and you're saying, I belong to Jesus. And Jesus says, I look, and I see obedience, but I see the love of my child. A child has been restored to union with me. So I join myself to them. It's not just a simple symbolic act. Everyone says, you know, it's a symbol of something, of an inward thing made outward. It's not just an inward thing being talked about outwardly. It is a spiritual act of obedience. And it is also a spiritual act of allegiance. I have transferred myself from one zone into another. I have stepped out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I've put every single spiritual authority on notice. I belong to this God. I no longer belong to the God of this world. So have this mind that was in Christ Jesus. Lord, let your will be done. Let your kingdom come. On earth as it is in heaven. Don't worry, the kids are just going to come inside as we get ready for uh, communion. But just give me your attention for a couple more minutes. Jesus is the new and living way. And I want you to go away with something practical. So how can I give God glory in my life? First, you can do that by repenting. You know what brings God glory? Seeing a child of His come home. If you are sitting here this morning and you have never said, Jesus is Lord, and I'm not asking you to say Jesus is Lord for the sake of saying it. If you have seen with your eyes, if you know in your heart that Jesus died for your sin, that there was something that you were stuck in. That you've been trying to make sense of life by yourself. You've been dipping in this pond. You've been dipping in this little puddle and trying to make sense of life. And God says, I want to return you to the source. And you hear that. I want you to respond. Don't wait for some big dramatic moment. I'm not going to make you come up front. I'm not going to make you do anything. I want you to respond to God right now. 
Because this brings God glory. When we say, I bow my knee to the name that is above every other name. He is the only name that matters. And if you have done that, if that is something that you have, just you can do this quietly just where you're sitting. I would like you to come and just grab me at the end of the service. Say, hey, you know what? This is something that I, I have done. You can talk to Donovan as well, the other guy you saw up front. We would love to just walk with you, help you understand what's going on. Because it's okay to have lots of questions. But this brings God glory. That we're saying, you know what? I don't know how to make sense of my life, but God does. And I want to give Him glory. You know what gives God glory? People who bring back thankfulness to God. Psalm 50 verse, 20, uh, Psalm 50 verse 23 says, The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. God is glorified by thanksgiving. God is glorified when we return to God and tell the truth. This is what repentance is, but this is also what thanksgiving is. In the Old Testament, whenever they would have someone confronted with a sin, they would say, give glory to God. What are they saying when they say give glory to God? They're saying, agree with God right now. Because you have done something that is wrong. This is what repentance, this is what confession really is. Of saying, I want to give God glory by making God the only one who is right. If I could have the worship team just up for a bit. So that we can get ready. Right now, what we are going to do is draw from the well of salvation. This is something that gives God glory. Behold, God is my salvation. This is Isaiah 12, verse 2 to 4. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust. I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the people. Proclaim that His name is exalted. What you and I are doing here, when we take communion in a, in a few minutes, don't be worried about the sound of kids next to you, or, or how not peaceful this moment is. Okay? We, it's just life. Yeah, she's back. Right? See, this, this, is, this is the cool thing about having kids. And um, I definitely would encourage you if, you, if you, if you have your family, or you, you, you want to do it yourself, to... We do have an awesome photo booth that, that Kim and Kara uh, built for us over there, which is like, everyone seems to be dressed so nicely today. And especially for parents, that's like a far cry. Sometimes you're like, we finally got them in clothes that don't look tattered. Um, that's great. So go, go for it. Go take pictures together. I want us to enjoy this day. But we need to remember why we're doing these things. Communion is a place of giving God glory. And when Jesus went to the cross, just before that, He had this, He instituted almost like a pre-Passover. He, he had a meal with His disciples. And during that meal, He took a cup and He, he broke off a piece of bread. And he said, this is the blood of my new covenant. And this is my body that is being broken for you. He was instituting something that they were familiar with. But he was like, I want to do something totally new with this Passover tradition. 
He was attaching it to the work that he was about to do. So when you and I apply the blood of Jesus over ourselves, but also over our household. If you're here as a family, if you're here as a household, I want you to see that when God sees the blood, God says, I will pass over you. He doesn't mean that the enemy will sidestep you. He's saying, I will pass over you. So God is saying in this moment to you, if you are doing this, you're doing this as a mark of saying, I belong to Jesus. So I'd encourage you, if you are someone who hasn't put your faith in Jesus, you can let it pass. You don't need to take this. But we would encourage you, we would welcome all of you to participate in this. This is something for the whole family. This is something for your whole household. But it is something we do in faith. So if it is not of faith, don't do it. But I would invite you. I would invite you. There is no compulsion in this church. We're not, gonna, we're not taking names, nothing. There's no membership that you have to be a part of to have communion with us. But what we are saying is we believe that Jesus died for our sin and he rose from the dead. Jack over there. That corner there. Um, when he died, he died for me. When he rose, he rose to bring me into a new living way. So as we sing this song, we're going to sing this song first. I want you to pay attention to how this song is sung. When I first heard this song, it says, I thank you, Jesus, for the blood of Christ. But no, I thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. I, I first thought it was a weird lyric, lyrical problem or something. But it is important. Over this Passover, you're saying, I apply the blood of Jesus, which is a finished work over me and my household. So what we are thanking God for is a finished work. So when you do this, when we sing this song before we do, before we open our kids. Kids, can I have your attention for one second? We're not going to play with the little cup for now, okay? We're going to sing a song first, okay? Deal? Deal? Okay, we're going to help mom and dad. We're going to just keep those things closed so that we don't have juice going everywhere, all right? But we want to do this with honor for the one who deserves our glory, the one who deserves all our praise, amen? Can we sing this song? Feel free to stand or sit. That's up to you. Separated, the bridge was far too wide. 